Second Peter chapter one, verses twelve through twenty-one says this. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will soon be, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. For we do not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased, we ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven. For we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Holy Father, Lord, which thanks for just the privilege of coming together to hear your word. Thank you for the gift of your word. And Holy Spirit, I pray to you this morning that you would just encourage us through your word. That you would just strengthen us and remind us of the power of your word and the reliability of your word. Lord, just remove any distractions and give us great hope. Lord, strengthen those who are unable to be here physically, emotionally, or spiritually. Lord, I pray to you just comfort them and give them great grace. Lord, speak to us this morning, and thank you for your goodness to us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. At the beginning of the year, this is so much what we said since 2016 as a church. The first Sunday of the year, we said as we go through this year, we are going to need to endure, we're going to need to enjoy, God called us to enjoy, and we are called to expect God to move in all these things. And then the last week, we, we kicked off the week talking about prayer. That's how we are going to be a part of this, is we endure, we enjoy God in life, and we expect God to move through prayer. And the privilege that prayer is, it is not passive, it is extremely active. And then it comes now to does God speak to us in those things? We're supposed to endure, we're supposed to enjoy, we're supposed to expect, he says, we can talk to God, but does God speak back to, God, to us? And how do we know that God is speaking back to us? And so the next two weeks, as we uh, look this morning, we're going to look at the Bible, at God's Word. What does God say about it? Really, we want to answer the question, can you trust the Bible? Can you trust it that this is God's word? There is many people in our culture, in our culture uh, locally, our cultural nationally, who are familiar with the Bible as far as a book. It's still one of the number one selling books in the history of the world. But that's about it. And more and more there's this growing animosity against the idea that it is even in any way relevant, or to even think that it should have impact on our life. How does God speak to us? 
God has spoken to us through general revelation, the Bible says. And Isaiah, the whole earth is full of his glory. Romans 1 says, for what can be known about God is plain to them. Which means that we can, we can look at creation, you can look outside, and that's, that is God speaking to us. It's pointing to something. But creation alone is not enough to know what we need to know about God. Creation, when you look at it, should say, make us say, it's enough to say, there's something bigger than ourselves. There's something greater than myself as the story that creation should tell us, but it doesn't tell us everything we need to go to know. So there is a special revelation that says God speaks, and we believe as a church that God has spoke, spoken to us. He is the God that speaks. He's the God that reveals himself to us, and he's done it through scripture, and he's done it through the Bible. And one of the desires of our church for our vision statement is that we will actively pursue God through reading, meditating on, and memorizing Scripture. One of our articles of faith as a church says this, We believe that the Bible is the Word of God, fully inspired and without error in the original manuscripts, written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and that it is it has supreme authority in all matters of faith and conduct. Scripture just literally means writings. That's the word. It's a, the, the word, it's a translation of the word writings. And the Bible just means, is the Greek word for book. What we have is a book. It was a book that was written in Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic over 1,500 years. It's a collection of books the Bible is by 40 various authors from 40 different various lifestyles and backgrounds that were from three different continents, Asia, Africa, and Europe. And the Bible is a collection of 66 books. 39 of them are in the Old Testament and 27 are in the New Testament. In 1205, there was a man who said, you know, it's kind of hard to find things in this collection of books that we've been given. Wouldn't it be even a simple, is there a way to divide them up? And so he put chapters in them. So the big numbers in your Bible are the chapter divisions that were put there about, uh, at 1205. Then later on, a printer named Robert Stephanus was, uh, getting kicked out of his country for printing the Bible. And as he was traveling out of the way there, reading the Bible, he divided it up even more to smaller sections so people could understand it, to verses, which is why the small letter of our Bibles are verses, and there's 31,173 of them. The chapters and the verse references are not authoritative. They were just a way to help divide up this big collection of books, of 66 books, that has been identified as the Word of God, or we would say is the canon of Scripture. And canon just means a Greek word for the rule or the measuring rod. Here's how people identified what is God's Word and what is not. And they did it by, does it conform to the same teachings, which they do? Did, did, is it apostolic? Was there, is there, was there someone who was around Jesus or knew Jesus well or people who knew Jesus well who wrote it? And is, has there been continuous acceptance of those books through the times? And that's how the scriptures were put together. But still, the question comes for us. Can I trust it? Can you trust something that was written, some words, a book, and then base major decisions of your life 
off of something that was written down on paper. Originally, the Bible was written in parchments, and then it got, uh, got moved on and translated into different uh, languages, put into paper, put into a book. And all that's great information, but the question is, can we trust it? Can I trust my life on that? Can I make major decisions of my life? And not just major decisions about my life, about my eternity, my ultimate belief of who I am, who God is. Can I trust it? Can I trust writings to be the thing that God has used? And the truth is, we do it all the time. All the time in our lives, we trust writing that we probably haven't even read. I was at the Sprint store this week because I was having some phone problems and I get my phone repaired and I'm sitting there waiting for it to get done and you walk into the Sprint store, it's all white. They have this huge white desk in front of you. Um, people dressed in black and khakis behind it. Papers everywhere in the front. All these little uh, rules and regulations. Some's with big print, some with very small print, all sitting in front of you. And while I'm sitting there waiting, this guy, had his phone was broken. And the girl comes back to him. She's got her computer here, papers everywhere. And she starts telling him, listen, your phone can't be fixed. And so you're going to have to pay this and this and this. You have to do this and this. And he said, uh, what? And she told him again. He goes, can you slow down? Uh, could you say that again? And the, the stress on this man's life was becoming overwhelming. Was he going to spend $400 right now? Or was he going to spend $200 right now? The pressure was on and he was just didn't know what to do. It was He was in turmoil. He kept j- fidgeting back and forth what to do over this major decision of a phone and how he was going to communicate with people. But the whole time that he was there, he believed every time the girl came out and showed him a piece of paper. He'd ask a question, well, why can't I do this? And she'd show him the piece of paper here like this. And she, he believed everything that he saw on piece of papers. And he was going to base his decision, which apparently was a great turmoil for him, on writings. That someone writ, and he didn't even write all of it. He didn't read all of it. And some of it was such small print, you couldn't see it all to read it. But he was willing to spend his money on it. Listen, my point is, we do this all the time. And people say, can you trust the Bible? It's just a bunch of writings. We trust writings all the time. And there are great reasons and great proofs of why we should trust the Bible, which is what Peter's doing here. Peter's getting ready to die. He's writing to Christians. And he's saying, I just want to remind you of this. I want to remind you of this. I want to remind you of this before I go. And the way I'm going to remind you of these things is to let you know that the things that I've been teaching you and telling you all these years have not been made up by me. They were, I was an eyewitness to them. It was eyewitness testimony and it's authoritative documentation. He says, listen, it's not just that I saw these things. That's why I know they're true. Even greater reason for you to believe, he says, is because we have the documents. We have the scriptures, the prophecy of scriptures that was written down. We have the words in book form. That's the greater reason. And that's why when people say, can, can, I, can you trust the Bible? Yes. There's two reasons why for sure you can trust the Bible. So one is there's, there's, it's eyewitness testimony. And there's authoritative documents that confirm the truth of what the scriptures say. There are big attacks on the Bible right now. Always have been. 
But the attacks on scripture right now is people would say there's just a bunch of myths. Newsweek in um, last December in 2014 put a huge article about how you, people can't believe the Bible anymore. It's not authority. It doesn't, it doesn't make sense. You're not an intelligent person if you believe scripture. And here's what they would say. They would say the Bible is just, there was, it's just myth. It's just legends. That people made up. And Peter says, For we do not follow cleverly devised myths. But they would say there was just a bunch of myths that were made up, a bunch of legends that were made up. And then they, there was multiple myths and multiple legends that people wrote about and talked about and said these things. And then as years went by, more multiple myths and legends were written and talked about. And so eventually they wrote all these myths and they wrote all these legends down. And then about 300 years after that, uh, they collected them all together to have this massive conspiracy. And so let's just, they said, they'll say, they took all these, the best of the best myths and collected them all together, put them in a book and said, this is God speaking to us. And they did it, they would say, because they wanted to control and have power. And so they took all these myths about Jesus, all these myths about God. There were so many of them, they narrowed them down to the ones that would give the leaders of the church the power. And then present it that way. The problem with that statement is that's not true. Because that's not how the Bible was written. Myths back in that time... We're all about grand, mystical creatures and created events. But what was very true when the Bible was written, when Peter was walking around with Jesus, when Luke was walking around with Jesus, when John was walking around with Jesus, eyewitness testimony was extremely important. Because they couldn't just write things down. They, they, eyewitness testimony was it, and documentation was extremely important. And these aren't myths. Myths weren't written this way. When you read Scripture, the real, the reason, Scripture is written as history because it is history. When you look at the Gospels, when you see what the Gospels have to say about Jesus, it's not written in some mystical way to see it as myth. It's written extremely historical. That's why... When you read the Bible in Mark chapter 15, when Jesus was going to the cross, and the author Mark says, hey, hey I'm going to ask Simon to carry the cross. And the, the, the soldier said, Simon, carry the cross for Jesus. He can't carry it his own way. And it says this in Mark chapter 15. They said, Simon, the father of Alexander and Rufus. And then it goes on to tell the rest of the story. If you're writing a myth, why would you name the two sons of Simon and Rufus. Why is it in Mark chapter 16 at the resurrection when it mentions all the women that were there? Only Mark mentions, mentions Salome in his account. Why do they do that? Why do they mention these names? These very particular, real names of people. The reason that they did it is because they had eyewitness accounts and that people that were around them could say, hey, if you don't listen to me, if you don't believe me, go ask Simon, or go ask Rufus, or go ask Alexander. Go ask them if their dad carried the cross for Jesus. Go find them. Do you wonder if, Jesus, if, if who was at the tomb when Jesus was resurrected? Go, go find Salome and ask her if she was there. Myths don't do that. They don't put in very particular events. And that's what Peter says. For we did not follow clearly devised myths. 
but we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, we were there. We were eyewitnesses of it. This was history. And Peter wants us to be reminded of it, which is pretty amazing. At the end of his life, when he's trying to convey the truth of what he believes and everything that his life stands for, he decides to go and says, I want to remind you about years ago in the time of when I was around Jesus. And go back and look at it this way. Listen, that's very significant that he would say, I want you to go back and remember the past like that. How many of you would like to go back and redo some of your high school years? Or go back and maybe redo some of the first couple years of your job? Or kind of redo maybe the first couple years of the new community that you moved into? Because you know when you go into high school, there's a lot of things that you wish you did differently. And if I wish it wasn't that way, I wish that wasn't my history. Or you start a new job and things are going great or not so great and you make a big idiot out of yourself for the first few months before you figure out the politics of the situation. Or you move into a new community and you go get your hair cut or something or you get your car washed and the guy that's doing the car wash does a terrible job and you go meet somebody else and you start ripping on him and you find out that that's they're related to that guy and you made a big fool out of yourself. That's not what the disciples do at all when they make the accounts of Scripture. If anybody could go back and want to change how he handled his life, it would have been Peter when he talks about Jesus in those accounts. A number of years ago, Teresa and I had to go to Romania on a mission trip for 10 months after we were married. And I had to get a passport picture. And my passport picture that day, when I, had, I only had a certain time to get a very small window, I had to rush to get it. And unfortunately, I was in college, and, and unfortunately, the, the biggest pimple I've ever had in my life decided to show up right here. I mean, it was massive. The only day I could get my picture taken, could do nothing about it, had to go get my picture. So for 10 years, my passport picture had a massive red mountain on it. So much so that when we went to the different airports, which we had to stop at about six, four different airports to get there, when I'd show my passport, literally a guy looked at it, because this was months later, my, my complexion had cleared up. He looked at it, laughed, looked down, made me look at him again, as if I was making this up, that I stole somebody else who looked just like me with a big pimple, and I took his Facebook, his passport. I would go back and change that passport picture in a heartbeat. But I can't. You know why? It's history. It's reality. That was what I looked like on that day when they took that picture, as flawed as it was. And if the apostles were trying to create some myth of Scripture, if they are trying to convey that this is a lie, that there is no way they would have written it that way. There's no way they would have used women to be the ones to first see Jesus. There's no way that Peter would be a bumbling, stumbling problem all the way through Scripture. That's not how you would write fiction. That's not how you write myth. The proofs of Scripture are there. The Bible is reliable and believable and trustworthy because it's historical reality. It really did happen. But by believing its reality, with all the different reasons, ultimately, 
We need to know those proofs. They are there for us. We can be, have great confidence in Scripture. And there's so much written about this. That these ideas that, that, that those people describe, those three myths, they really in many ways have been, have been just shattered by scholars from all departments of belief. But that really isn't the most important, helpful thing. Just saying, I believe history. I believe that is not ultimately the most helpful thing. We need to know the proofs about Scripture. But ultimately, even more, we need to know the purpose of Scripture. The purpose of Scripture is to point us to a person. The purpose of Scripture is about an individual. It's all about one individual. It's about Jesus Christ. The whole point of Scripture This whole collection of books is to point us to Jesus, to see Jesus for who he is. When Luke wrote his gospel, in Luke chapter 1, he says, I I searched things out. He said the same thing that Peter said in verse 1, inasmuch as I have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among you, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us. It seemed good to me also, having followed all these things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. So listen, this is not something that I made up. I searched this out. I researched it. I talked to people who are around Jesus. I talked to people who knew Jesus. And that's how I compiled these historical accuracies about who Jesus was and what Jesus said. But ultimately, even more than that, at the end, in Luke chapter 24, the two guys were walking down the road after Jesus had been crucified. And the day after his resurrection and they don't know about the resurrection yet and it says they're on the road to Emmaus they have no idea what's going on they're absolutely devastated they're distraught they're con- they're talking to each other and all of a sudden this third man comes around he asks them what's wrong and they're shocked that he doesn't know what's going on so they explain to them how Jesus was crucified and Jesus says to them in verse 25 O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, which is all the Old Testament, and beginning with Moses, the first five books of the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers in Deuteronomy, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Which means that the whole purpose of the Bible is to point you to Jesus. The whole Bible is all about Jesus. Jesus himself said, the whole Bible's about me. From Genesis all the way through to the Gospels and beyond, the whole point of the Bible is Jesus. And Jesus knew the Bible. And Jesus listened to the Bible. And Jesus followed Scripture. He quoted Scripture. You say, well, what did Jesus think about the Old Testament? I can kind of believe that about the New Testament because Jesus existed. And there was always time. Well, what about all that stuff in the Old Testament? The truth is, Jesus, the Bible says, grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God. And man, he would have learned the Scriptures. He knew the Scriptures. He followed the Scriptures. And he listened to the Scriptures. In John chapter 4, when Jesus was being tempted by Satan... Every response that Jesus gave was Scripture. He quoted to Satan the Old Testament. He said, God said, Scripture says. Jesus knew Scripture. 
which means to follow Jesus, is to follow Scripture. To follow Jesus is to follow the Bible. To follow Scripture is to say, if you believe Jesus, and say, I believe that Jesus exists, I believe Jesus, I just don't believe what Scripture says, I don't like that part of Scripture, I don't believe this is really true, then you're not following the Jesus of the Bible because the Jesus of the Bible followed the Scriptures. He lived them, he knew them, and he expressed them constantly. That's how he lived his life. The whole purpose of the Bible is not just a collection of books of history. It is a collection of books that point us to a person and the person of Jesus Christ. The whole Bible is about Jesus There are great proofs to believe the Bible. And we need to know the purpose for why the Bible was written, but ultimately, it has to become very personal to you. Psalms 19 says, The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. God has spoken and he's spoken through his word. He spoke through scriptures. The Bible doesn't just contain the word of God. The Bible is the word of God. So when you read scripture, God is speaking to you and it's an invitation. And it's an amazing invitation that scripture is. Because the God of the universe whose ways are past finding out for us, said, I want to communicate with them. And when God said he wanted to communicate with us, we weren't the good guys. We were the ones who had rebelled against him, who didn't want to have anything to do with him, who were his enemies. And God said, you know, I still want to communicate to them. So I'm going to reveal myself through writings. I'm going to reveal myself through Scripture. I mean, all of us, there are many people that we would know if we're going to write out an invitation and send them an invitation, we can say, "Uh, do I really want to send it to them? Uh, I don't really want to send it to them. Do Do I have to really send it to them? Do I have to really invite them to come to this thing? That's not what God did for us at all. The Bible says that God loved us so much that he invited you through Scripture. He invites you to come. He says, come to me, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest. The Bible says that Jesus is standing at the door knocking. He just wants us to respond and enter, which is an amazing invitation. Listen, if I knew me like God knows me, I would not want to know me. If I knew me as much as God really knows me, I would want to have nothing to do with me. And God knows me so well, he still said, I'm going to write my word. I want you to know me. I'm going to reveal myself to you through your word. And God pursues us. The Bible is an extremely personal message. Don't let anybody tell you that it's not true. It can be trusted. There's plenty of evidence for it to be trusted. But the reason it needs to be trusted is because it's the purpose for what it's trusted for. If you just read the Bible without Jesus, you're going to be crushed by the Bible. You're going to be here, you're going to hear how you're supposed to live your life and how, what you're supposed to do and you're going to be saying, I can't do that. I can't make that standard. I don't like that. 
Because if I have to read and say and do what the Bible has to say left to myself, I would say, no way, I can never meet that standard. Which is why the purpose of the Bible was to point us to Jesus who did meet the standard of the Bible. And he met it perfectly and he loved us so much that he said, I'm going to rescue people. So make my words personal. Take it in. Trust me with it. Because I'm calling you to rescue you. The reason I'm speaking to you through my word is so that you can have hope and you can be rescued. Maybe you are here this morning and you're just a little bit of a skeptic. You don't really believe that God's word is God's word. You don't really believe it's all God's word. I would just encourage you to do this. Put the Bible to the test. Test it out. Read it. Challenge it. Take all your questions to it. Give any objections you have to it. Throw them at them. Research it. Be as critical as you want to be about it. Put the Bible to the test. Because it will stand because it's true. And if you're a Christian, you say, you know, Paul, I really wish I was excited about the Bible like I used to be. I really wish I had some energy again to read Scripture and love it like I'm supposed to, but I just, I just don't. There are a lot of Christians, a lot of believers that way. And you, you've heard the Bible all your life. You, you know the Bible in your head, or at least you think you do. And this is what I would encourage you to do. Maybe you've collected a lot of information about the Bible. You've got a lot of facts about the Bible. You can quote some scriptures in the Bible, but you have totally, you even believe it. So you're good with the proofs. You're, yeah, that's God's word. I'm good with the proofs. But the problem is you've completely missed the person. And the purpose of Scripture. I need to go back to finding Scripture. So I would just encourage you to keep reading. But as you read this time, go back and find Jesus in it. Pursue Jesus. Jesus said that all Scripture is for me. So when you start looking and reading Scripture, say, God, show me yourself. If if all this is about Jesus, then help me see Jesus in the text. Help me see Jesus and start looking for Jesus in Scripture. And when you do that, when you're looking for a real person, When you're looking for the living Son of God, He's going to reveal Himself to you. It's a whole point of Scripture. So start pursuing Jesus. And then sometimes we just need some extra help. And I would really encourage us as a church, if what we say is true, that we want to be a church that will actively pursue God through reading, meditating on, and memorizing the Scriptures, that we would participate together in the Word. That we would see the importance of gathering to hear God's word. That we would be willing to step out and join a life group where we sit and read God's word together and encourage each other. Life groups are going to start up again February 21st. And we just read scripture together. Be challenged by God's word because it is God speaking to us. Every time you open your Bible and read it, it is the God of the universe speaking to you trying to reveal you to you, his son. Look for Jesus, and it, and it will be powerfully transformational. The Bible still transforms people's lives. A friend of mine, who's a Facebook friend of mine, who's a pastor, in the last two weeks was coming back from a trip, and he got into the airplane, and he said, I always struggled, even as a pastor, to open my Bible on an airplane and read it. And so he said, you know what, I'm going to do it. So he sat down, opened up his Bible, wasn't looking around, put it, pulled the tray down, put the Bible on the tray and started reading. Didn't really look over here to notice the guy next to him because he was a little embarrassed still. But he said, i got to start doing this. So he 
opened the Bible, and he looked over, and the guy sitting next to him had his tray down with a Bible open. So a 25-year-old guy who just weeks before had his life transformed by the Bible. He heard who Jesus was, and he responded to it, and his life was being transformed. Sometimes I think we've forgotten the power of Scripture and how transformative it is. Do you believe the true proofs about the Bible? Are you pursuing the person of the Bible? Is it so personal to you that you see and hear God speaking to you as you read? If not, you need to ask the Holy Spirit to wake you up. Help me to see Jesus in this. The Bible says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Ask God to convict you deeply of the desire to love his word, see his word, and pursue Jesus in his word. Climb out of this boat and then Under the crashing waves To step out of my comfort zone Into the realm of the unknown Where Jesus is And he's holding out his hand But the waves are calling out my name And they laugh at me Reminding me of all the times I've tried before and failed the ways they keep on telling me Time and time again Boy, you never win You never win But the voice of truth Tells me a different story The voice of truth Says do not be afraid And the voice of truth Says this is for my glory Story. The voice 
Listen and believe I will listen and 